Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Welcome everybody to our TIFF talk tonight. Um, I know it's Wednesday and not Tuesday, but we're here tonight and we have a very special guest today. Uh, we have Dr. Vito Cerigliano. Welcome Dr. Cerigliano and thank you for being here with us tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. Fantastic. Well, a little background on Dr. Cerigliano. He is a board certified gastroenterologist serving patients at LeBauer. Did I say that right, Dr. Cerigliano? Got it. Okay. Yes. Uh, gastro gastroenterology in Greensboro, North Carolina. He received his medical degree and uh, from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. He completed his residency at Tripler Medical, uh, Tripler Army Medical Center and his fellowship at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Uh, Dr. Cerigliano believes each patient's care is a shared decision between doctor and patient. He seeks to bring the most up-to-date and evidence-based medical information and understand each patient's beliefs, goals, and approach to care to arrive at a tailored decision that is best for his patients. Dr. Cerigliano truly enjoys what he does and the privilege of serving patients each day. In his free time, Dr. Cerigliano enjoys spending time with his family, playing basketball, exercising, and trips to the beach. So uh, welcome, Dr. Cerigliano. This is our first time having you on our TIFF Talk. Um, we're very excited to have you here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about where you're located, about your practice, and uh, where patients uh, find you? Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you again for having me. Really excited to be on here. Um, I am located at uh, LeBauer Gastroenterology. Um, we have an office in, uh, I see patients both in Greensboro and in our office in High Point. Um, our uh, endoscopy center is located in Greensboro, and then... Uh, for TIF procedures, I do those at Wesley Long Hospital in uh, Greensboro. Um, so yeah, very excited to be on here and, and share this uh, opportunity with, with our patients. Fantastic. So just a little housekeeping items um, for those of you who may be new on our TIF Talks. This is a live event. And at any time, if you have any questions for Dr. Cerigliano, you can go ahead and type them into the comment section and we will do our best to answer the question. In addition to that, we are giving away a TIFF tumbler. Um, you know, one of those, like, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, those tumblers that you can put drinks in that keeps it hot or cold. Um, but we will be giving uh, that one away. So um, all you need to do is comment where you're tuning in from, um, and then we will pick some winners uh, to receive that tumbler at the end of the night. Um, so 
We're going to go ahead and get started, Dr. Cerigliano. Um, you know, we're here to talk about GERD and the TIF procedure. So, um, you know, I'll let you kind of start off and tell us a little more about what is GERD. Sure, sure, yeah. So GERD is, uh, it stands for gastroesophageal reflux disease. Um, and uh, as the name implies, what it is is an abnormal amount of uh, reflux or contents rather from the stomach that reflux up into the esophagus. Um, and when that happens, it tends to cause symptoms. Um, so uh, now some reflux to go up from the stomach into the esophagus from time to time is a normal variant. Um, it's physiologic. It can happen, um, but it should be infrequent. Um, maybe there's certain foods that would do it or certain times of the day. Um, but for it to happen more regularly, say more than two or three days per week, or if it's severe more than once per week, that's where we start to classify this more as a disease. And that's where GERD comes into play. Um, so gastroesophageal reflux disease, again, it's just the reflux of contents abnormally from the stomach up into the esophagus. Thank you for that explanation. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, kind of symptoms that patients could be feeling? You know, there's, there's this talk about, you know, typical symptoms of the heartburn and, and, you know, that feeling. And there's also those atypical um, symptoms. Can you talk about the differences yeah. in that? Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a great one because, right, so we've got the typical symptoms of reflux. So that would be like your heartburn or uh, regurgitation. Again, the feeling that there's this fluid content moving up into the esophagus. Um, and then you've got your atypical symptoms, which are a little bit harder for patients to recognize that maybe this is GERD or reflux. And, and those can be um, the feeling that something is stuck in the, in the throat, and usually people will point right here near that Adam's apple area, and that's called globus sensation. Um, a chronic cough or raspy voice or change in the voice can be another one of those atypical uh, type symptoms. Uh, sour taste in the mouth. And, and we break them down into typicals and atypicals, partly because of their response to medications. The typical um, symptoms tend to respond a whole lot better than the atypicals do. So a lot of times I'll see patients who have a diagnosis of reflux already. Um, they're on medications and they're doing okay for some of their symptoms, but they come see me because those atypical symptoms are still quite bothersome. Um, another one that, that sometimes goes a lot less recognized is nausea, um, usually without any vomiting, but nausea is another one of those atypical symptoms that patients come in a lot for. Okay, interesting. So can we talk or can you discuss, um, you know, what are the, you know, things that patients can do initially before they even look at, um, you know, medical therapy, you know, what, what's the the triage up until eventually yeah. having a medical procedure. So can you talk about that? Maybe lifestyle yeah. changes and diet or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Because the first step in, in treating this is, is lifestyle modifications. And those would include things like uh, avoid eating close to bedtime. And by close, we mean you know, two or three hours um, within bedtime. Um, avoid eating to the point of being full or overfull. Um, if you're having reflux, particularly at nighttime, maybe sleeping with the head of your bed elevated, um, and that can be done with either a couple of pillows or perhaps um, some of the newer beds that can elevate um, on their own. Um, 
Another one is sort of trying to identify some of those foods that tend to cause reflux symptoms a little more um, and then avoiding those foods. Some of the more common ones would be like tomato-based sauces, um, spicy food, um, alcohol can do this as well, and, and, and avoiding those, those foods that tend to be triggers for you. So yeah, that's, that's certainly the first step in all of this is, um, is lifestyle and dietary modifications. And that should be certainly employed before starting medications um, and, sh and should be continued through the process of even when you're on medications, it's good to avoid those um, sort of activities. When we move through that spectrum of treating reflux, the next step then, let's say we employed all of those, we're still having a lot of symptoms, particularly maybe some breakthrough symptoms at nighttime, um, would be medications. Um, there's two primary class of drugs that we tend to use. Um, you can have your um, H2 blockers or your proton pump inhibitors or PPIs. Um, the latter tends to be used um, more commonly when, when, when they're coming in to see me, they, they tend to be on those more. And those medications, their, their job, their target is to um, hit those cells in the stomach that produce acid with the goal of reducing the amount of acid content, which hopefully then reduces the amount that moves up into the esophagus and sort of neutralize some of those bothersome symptoms. Um, so patients will, will tend to be on those medications as the next step in therapy and certainly before engaging in any sort of surgical intervention. Mm -hmm. So there's been um, quite a few articles and talk about, um, you know, you mentioned PPIs and long-term side effects of PPIs. You know, what's your, um, what's your thoughts on that? And, you know, because I know some patients are concerned about that. Yeah. 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 That is definitely something that um, patients come in with, with pretty high concerns and it's real. Uh, so some of the side effects that are uh, known to be associated with PPIs um, would include certain vitamin mineral deficiencies. Um, just rewinding a little, right? So our bodies are made to have acid in the stomach, right? We need acid there to sort of break down um, uh, certain nutrients out of our foods. Um, we might need it to neutralize certain viruses or bacteria that we would have ingested. Um, and by adding a, a medication that sort of takes that acid away is now the abnormal, right? So, so some vitamins, so things like iron or maybe magnesium, um, uh, vitamin B12 could be malabsorbing when, when we're on those medications. Bone fracture, specifically hip fracture, has been associated with uh, chronic PPI use. Mm. Infections, uh, most notably of the GI tract, um, Again, because we don't have that acid content to sort of neutralize some of those bugs if we you know, ingested them. So one of the big ones we think about is something called C. diff, colitis or Clostridium difficile. It's a, a particularly hardy uh, bacteria. Um, or maybe even pneumonias because of um, the, the elevated infection uh, risk. Uh, so those are some of the, the more common ones. Uh, on top of that, you know, a lot of people come in and say, you know, the medications work, but I just don't want to take a medication all of the time. And I, and I get that, too, because it is a lifestyle modifier. Um, so, right. So there are the, the known complications of, of medications and uh, and then also the uh, sort of the bothersome nature of having to take a med. Those medications, they're filtered through the kidneys. So we always have to watch out for 
kidney dysfunction uh, or maybe some electrolyte issues because of those medications. Um, so those are sort of the things that run through uh, our minds as we see people on these chronic medications. Okay, thank you. And so on that note, we've got quite a few questions coming in, but I want to just kind of um, segue uh, in before we answer some of these questions. So thank you to all of you who are asking the questions. Yeah. Uh, but uh, with that said, you know, what are what are the available treatment options right now for GERD? And then we'll ask a couple of questions and you can, I see you have a, a whiteboard back there. Maybe. Do. Um, yeah. So yeah. let's yeah. talk briefly about what are the there are different treatment options today. So, so the treatment options, like we talked about, we start off with the, the dietary and lifestyle modifications, then we'll move up from there to medications. But if medications are not working for us anymore, or we simply just want to move on from medications, either because of side effects, um, then we start talking about anti-reflux surgeries and, and specifically TIF or transoral incisionless medication. And kind of going yeah, to the whiteboard that I've got here. So kind of going through the diagrams, we've got our esophagus here. We've got our stomach that leads into our small intestine. And the, the blue line here represents our, our diaphragm and sort of where it makes a natural pinch point between the transition of the esophagus and the stomach. Along with that pinch point, we normally have sort of a, a muscle here called our lower esophageal sphincter. And the job of that is to stay closed so that contents don't spill up from the esophagus or from the stomach, rather, into the esophagus. The job of that is to stay closed. For some people, that lower esophageal sphincter is no longer competent. It stays a little bit open. It can do that because sometimes we've got some small muscles out here that are supposed to kind of stay hardy and, and keep everything closed, but they can sort of decay over time, and that, that valve becomes open. Another thing that can happen is in the diaphragm itself, there's a natural hole for the esophagus to uh, travel through. That can widen. And what happens there is part of the stomach can then move up into the chest cavity. And it sort of looks more like this. And that can be called, or that's called a hiatal hernia. Folks with hiatal hernias tend to have reflux a little bit more commonly and a little harder to treat than folks without. So what we try to do in, in a TIF, or a transoral incisionless fundoplication, is again, we're going down through the esophagus. So we're going through the mouth while we're asleep, while they're asleep, and going through the esophagus into the stomach. <laughs> and we're working backwards. We're working at the top of the stomach with the goal of sort of restoring a tight barrier here. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of redrawing things. Well, we're doing that, that tight barrier, that lower esophageal sphincter, by borrowing some of the stomach tissue and wrapping it in a 270-degree angle around where the bottom of the esophagus or that lower esophageal sphincter was. Um, what that does is it prevents anything reflux from coming back up from the stomach into the esophagus. The really nice thing about TIF, right, is that some of the known side effects of other anti-reflux surgeries, most notably Nissen fundoplications. That's been, been around for decades, and that's the surgical approach where we do what's called a 360-degree wrap, a full wrap around that bottom esophagus slash top of the stomach. And it's nice because nothing ever comes back up. The problem is nothing really ever comes back up, meaning it's very difficult to belch and get rid of gas distension that's there in the stomach. Some people can have trouble swallowing past that high pressure zone. Whereas TIF is a 270 degree wrap, so we don't have that trouble 
belching or releasing gas distension afterwards, we don't have that trouble swallowing past that new um, high pressure zone that we've created. Um, and again, all of this is being done without any incisions on the outside. So we're doing everything through an endoscope. Okay, thank you. And you did mention the hiatal hernia, and we get a yeah. lot of patients wondering about, you know, do I need my hiatal hernia repaired? Um, do I do that with TIFF? Can you talk a little bit about how that um, yeah. works, that relationship? Yeah, because that's a great question. Yeah. Um, um, so when it comes to hiatal hernias and TIFF, so certain we can repair hiatal hernias that are two centimeters or less with a TIFF alone. And basically what we're doing is when we're sort of repairing that anatomy there, we're able to bring the stomach back down into the abdominal cavity where it belongs and then do our fundoplication or our wrap at that time. Herniers that are larger than that, so two to five centimeters, those patients will do um, what's called a concomitant TIF, where I partner up with some of the and my surgical colleagues here, and they'll do a laparoscopic, so from the outside, laparoscopic hiatal hernia repair. And what they're doing is they're pulling that stomach again back down to where it belongs, the abdominal cavity. And then during that same surgery, I'll go in through the mouth and again, recreate that barrier with a TIF. So we can do both of those together when the hernia is a little larger, that two to five centimeter range. Perfect. Thank you so much. That was a very clear explanation. So I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to go and uh, answer a couple of questions. So I'm looking over here at some questions that are coming in. Um, everyone's saying thank you and hi, first of all. Uh, Hello. <laughs> okay, we've got a question from, let's see, uh, Dwayne. He's asking, what types of tests are performed to diagnose GERD? Yeah, great question, Dwayne. Thank you for that. Uh, so, so, uh, so to diagnose GERD, so first and foremost, pe people come in with the, the classic symptoms. So again, either those typical or those atypicals. Um, a lot of times your response to medication sort of leads us in the, in the right direction, right? So folks who respond well to medications, it's a higher likelihood that they true, truly do have GERD or reflux. Next step in the process tends to be an upper endoscopy. So this is a procedure where you're asleep. Again, we're going in through the mouth, down the esophagus and into the stomach. And we're really looking at that border between the esophagus and the stomach. And we're looking for signs of reflux called esophagitis. And that is where the, the bottom part of the esophagus is inflamed from that exposure, uh, inappropriate exposure to acid. That's usually the next test. If we find that reflux esophagitis, that kind of makes our diagnosis. We, we have it now. But some people, we don't see that, right? We don't see that inflammation, and that could be just because their medications are doing what they need to do. So then we'll go on to the next set of tests. And that can either be uh, measuring the amount of acid that the esophagus is seeing, and that could be with what we call a wireless pH capsule. So what that is is we do, again, an endoscopy where we attach a little device to the inside of the esophagus, and it measures how much acid is coming up over a 24, 48, or even 96-hour period of time. A similar procedure um, is a, a device that's inserted through the nose and into the esophagus, and again, measures how much acid and material, because um, that one can measure non-acid as well, comes up over a 24-hour period of time. Sometimes we'll have imaging, and that can be um, a basically a contrasted study where you swallow some contrast, and we watch it go down the esophagus and see how much of it comes back up into the esophagus. So this is the, that's the typical workup to find out 
somebody if they have reflux and to what degree they have reflux. Thank you. Uh, so another question we have is what type of patient is a good TIF candidate? Yeah, yeah, good TIF candidate. So that's going to be somebody who has um, usually, you know, so they come in with their typical or atypical reflux symptoms. Um, some good ones are, are folks who respond well to medications, but they just do not want to take those medications anymore. Again, maybe they've had a side effect or they're fearful of side effects or they just do not want to keep taking uh, medications. A lot of people are on twice a day therapy. Um, so those could be good candidates for it because the, the idea of TIF is twofold, right? So it's to be, it's to control our reflux a bit better. And the other is to come off of medications or significantly reduce the amount of medication that you have to take. Um, so that those are good candidates. Um, some, some people uh, go through the, the workup and we have to be careful to make sure that they are just as much as selecting who's a good candidate is who could be a, a person who, who might not do as well, right? So we want to know, is there trouble swallowing where maybe the esophagus just doesn't function as well as it ought to, meaning it doesn't squeeze and carry food and, and, and fluid down as well as it ought to. So those are, are things that we also want to work up. So not only who's a good candidate, but who also might not uh, not do as well with a, um, with a TIF. Um, yeah, so I think Perfect. Thank you. And uh, interestingly enough, we just got a question um, from Liz. She's asking, is difficulty in swallowing related to GERD? Yeah, that, that's, that's a great question because that's one that we, uh, we have to parse out a lot. Um, but to answer your question, yes. Uh, so chronic GERD can lead to difficulty swallowing. It can do it in a couple ways. It can, um, as, we, as we reflux acid up into the esophagus, this burn repair, burn repair process there, um, we start to set some scar tissue in and we can uh, form what's called a peptic stricture or a tight spot in the esophagus. Um, those folks, we can generally go in there with an endoscope beforehand and sort of open that up, stretch that back out again. But there's other people where the, the burn repair process doesn't have such a uh, a definite stricture point like that, but instead the muscles and nerves of the esophagus so-called uh, burn out. They just don't function as, as well as they ought to. So control of the reflux would help both of those individuals. Um, but to answer your question, absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, so I've got a question here for you um, in particular about your practice. Um, what motivated you to incorporate the TIF procedure into your practice? That's a good question. Um, so I... Uh, before here, I was in the I was in the military uh, for a number of years, and uh, the patients I was seeing there, um, it was it was a difficult thing to to have somebody uh, on high dose acid suppression therapy twice a day, and then think about deploying um, and carrying their medications with them and having to um, sort of think about that other part of their life, and uh, and so this when this became available. It, it just really sparked an interest of I could really help somebody out and eliminate some medications, eliminate some symptoms. And, uh, and as we started seeing more and more people and the benefit of it, it just um, it sort of became a reality. that This is, this is a wonderful way to, to, to help people. Um, and then transitioning that uh, to where I am now, uh, one of the other benefits that I've seen is I see a, a lot of uh, folks who have um, subsequent respiratory symptoms, pulmonary symptoms, because of their reflux. Maybe it makes their asthma worse or their sinusitis worse. 
And, and we've seen uh, significant benefits using TIF in some of those what we call extra esophageal manifestations of reflux. So that's, um, those are sort of the, the reasons that I incorporated it um, into my practice. I, I found it's, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, some of the, my favorite stories are, are folks who tell, tell me um, some of their symptoms are when they, when they bend forward, you know, either tie their shoes or get down on the floor and play with their kids or their grandkids, and they feel this, this acid spilling out, this regurgitation. And then we do the tip procedure and it's gone. But these are things they didn't even realize they were modifying in their life, you know, that they were saying, oh, no, I've just put my foot up on a, on a chair and I tie my shoe that way, not even realizing they had modified their life because of reflux. And this, um, and to hear those stories, it's been, uh, it's been wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, thank you for your service, by the way. Oh, yeah. Make absolutely. sure I mention that. Uh, and um, so this is kind of an interesting question from Vilma. They're asking, how important is a doctor's experience doing the TIF procedure? Like the number of times the doctor had done a procedure um, for it to be, uh, for it to have successful results. Yeah, I, I, I think it is important to, um, to have that kind of experience, uh, to know basically when you're in a procedure, um, what you want. The, so basically when we go in there for the procedure, you first look at the valve and you kind of evaluate what does the valve look like now? And you start to, after doing more and more of these, gain experience on what tissue can I grab and sort of borrow in order to start modifying this valve to look the way I know it needs to look. Um, and, uh, and that's just really only gained through experience. So doing more and more of them means you, you've seen the, the different variants and you know how to uh, sort of operate on, on different valves. Um, so yeah, I, I believe that's it's incredibly important. Thank you. You know, I'm, I'm seeing some questions here about, you know, how soon can I get back to working after TIF? Maybe we can talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, post-TIF. Yes. Uh, you hear a lot of people talk about the post-TIF diet and then recovery. So maybe you could talk about all of that if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because that might even be the hard part, right? So the post-TIF diet. Um, so first, we, we stay on a, on a liquid diet for 24, 48 hours. And then we kind of move up from there to what we call a blender consistency or a puree diet. And we sort of pause there and then eventually move up to the soft food. So your mashed potatoes and soft pastas and things of that nature. And then by about week five, week six, we are starting to move into our regular diet again. So it, it can be difficult. And, uh, and for that reason, we usually talk to patients about this well beforehand and, and, and give them a handout on certain foods that you're going to want to sort of look for as you move through each of these stages. Um, same with activity. So it's a slow ramp up in our activity. So um, in that first week afterwards, maybe no lifting more than five pounds is a general uh, rule. Into that second week, we should be able to progress after the, you know, up from five pounds into 25 pounds. And again, we press pause for a couple of weeks. And by week four, you should be on your regular um, activity schedule again. Perfect. From a work standpoint, most people go back to work three, four days later, maybe a week at the outer limit. Um, but most are feeling uh, pretty darn well. It depends, right, on what type of work they do. If they're just sitting at a desk, they can probably yeah. Yeah, get in a little bit sooner, right? <laughs> yeah, great point. Yep. <laughs> uh, so um, 
couple of questions here. Uh, we've got a someone watching. She's the mother-in-law of a spouse here. Um, she said, "Do you find Tricare um, flight patients? I'm assuming Tricare flight patients much with getting TIF." I'm ask I'm thinking she's asking if they get it covered if it's covered. Oh, right. Yeah. It. It. it yeah. It. It. it uh, Tricare it is covered. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I know it's hard to read in yeah. this. Go back. So no. I apologize if I'm messing that up. But um, another question: um, Should I consider TIF to prevent further lung damage? Um, she has bron bronchitis. Bronchitis. Yeah. Bronchitis. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there's there is absolutely data out there um, that uh, that doing a TIF, an anti-reflux procedure, um, can uh, uh, can certainly improve. Um, basically, what it's doing, right, is is we worry about folks who already have lung disease, so bronchiectasis in this case. What we don't want to do is further insult the lungs or the upper airways in this uh, particular uh, case. And uh, some folks reflux it comes up so high that it spills over onto the vocal cords and into the upper airways. So if we could prevent that, then we could potentially prevent some exacerbation of the underlying pulmonary disease. So yes, uh, there, there's absolutely. Oh, fantastic, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. Funny story, actually, I do have GERD and I'm on a PPI um, and uh, someone was making fun of me, not making fun of me, but they said your voice long time ago was so much higher and now <laughs> your voice has changed. And I realized it's probably my GERD. It's probably the GERD, yeah. <laughs> I need to get my tip. Yep. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So um, another big question that we get a lot of times is, you know, obviously the elephant in the room, there's COVID. Um, some patients are feeling kind of weary about coming in for their initial consult or going into a hospital for a procedure. Can you talk a little bit about the safety of coming in and, and getting that done, you know, and the precautions that you and at your practice and, and potentially the hospitals are doing in your area, in your area? Yeah, yeah, de definitely high concerns for that, right? So our, um, our practice, so uh, before doing endoscopic procedures, um, patients are getting tested uh, for COVID beforehand. Um, our staff, we're, we're routinely monitoring our staff um, for, for COVID-like symptoms. Um, and uh, so when patients are coming in, they're all essentially tested and negative. Um, when we're doing hospital cases, it's the same um, the same drill, right? So everybody is being tested beforehand, before a procedure. You're even being tested before, let's say we did a radiology study or one of those pH studies measuring the acid. We're being uh, tested before that as well. Um, but yeah, that's a, it's a very valid concern. And, and for those concerns of, of COVID and surging COVID numbers, um, we, along with many, many programs, had slowed down our uh, our TIF procedures or any elective uh, procedures for that matter um, for a number of months, but that uh, you know, thankfully we are back online with uh, with a green light for procedures again, um, knowing that we've got all of these precautions in place. Um, we know that we can proceed. Yeah, and more vaccinated people, right? So yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, so we have a question here from Andrew. Uh, he's asking, "How will I feel after my procedure?" Yeah. Yeah. Um, so most people, I tell them, the first thing you might notice is a, is a bit of a sore throat. That'll go away after about 24 hours or so. And that's just because 
there was a foreign device that we were in there and, and sort of operating through that area. Um, but outside of that, you start tolerating liquids just fine. You may have a little bit of discomfort in sort of the, the center part here, the same area that we are grabbing all that tissue in and sort of recreating that valve the way it's supposed to work. Um, but as far as side effects go, right, to the procedure, um, it's very limited. You know, in, in, in the data, so where are we at? 23 or 24,000 of these cases plus have been done, right? So it's less... Yeah, it's less than 0.5% for um, serious side effects or, or, or serious adverse events. Um, so, uh, so most patients feel pretty darn well. Um, I will generally keep people on their PPI for a very short period of time after the procedure. Um, and that's because, one, your acid pumps are so used to that medication that we want to back that medication down slowly so we don't get this surge of acid. Um, and it also probably helps to speed up a healing process or a, what we call a clot formation process in the operating field. Um, but yeah, but we're generally able to, to bring those medications down. 85 plus percent of the time, we come off those medications completely. We don't go back on them. Um, so the, the, you know, of that 10 to 15 percent who go back to medications, the vast majority tell me it's actually just Every once in a while, I just have to take something because let's say pizza fires it up or a certain sauce that I really like fires it up. But 85 plus percent of the time, we are done with PPI therapy after this procedure. Oh, that's music to my ears. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got a question from Vilma. He's, or they are asking, is there any way to test to know how far up the reflux goes in the esophagus in order to know if it's affecting the lungs? The lungs. Wow. Yeah. So you can do a couple of tests, right? So the, um, the one we talked about before, that, um, that barium study, so a contrasted x-ray essentially where you swallow this contrast and then they watch for a little bit of time and see if it refluxes back up, they will usually comment on how high that reflux goes. And if it's going to, you know, towards the, the top of the, the esophagus, then yeah, and, then it is definitely a risk that it spills over towards. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, um, esophageal cancer awareness month is coming up in April. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's often some, you know, question does, does GERD, you know, relate or, or is that the initial onset to esophageal cancer? Maybe you can talk a little bit about yeah. that and the correlation of GERD and sure. cancer. And sure. Cancer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, that specific type of esophageal cancer is esophageal adenocarcinoma. And yes, that, that runs on that spectrum starting from reflux. So um, basically starting from reflux, again, as acid comes up and you get this burn repair process, some of the cells start to change in the bottom of the esophagus. And that change is called intestinal metaplasia or Barrett's esophagus, named after the physician who uh, discovered this. And that Barrett's esophagus is then a precursor to esophageal adenocarcinoma or esophageal cancer. Um, so yes, that is the uh, on the spectrum. And, and for that, that reason, among others, is why we take it very seriously. Um, there's a certain uh, subset, a certain population that we say should be screened for that Barrett's esophagus. Uh, folks with a, perhaps a long-standing history of reflux um, 
uh, above age 50. Um, there's certain guidelines where we say, yeah, we should be screening for that. But yes, esophageal adenocarcinoma comes from uh, reflux. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, just trying to uh, build awareness around that since it's uh, yeah. coming up uh, in April. Um, so with that said, you know, I think that's all the questions that we have um, for this evening. I just wanted to remind everybody, if you were are, are tuning in, please notate or just comment where you're tuning in from. Um, you could win a uh, TIFF tumbler that we're going to give away. Um, but before we end the program, I did want, we do it, we, excuse me, we did have a um, poll, a giveaway for a TIFF tumbler um, on our GERD help page. And um, we were said we were going to announce the um, winners. Uh, we were giving away five um, TIFF tumblers. So I did want to announce um, the winners of that first tonight. And then um, we will uh, conclude for the evening with some last minute um, items. But so the winners that we have, uh, there were five is, um, the first one is Laverne Tassin. Um, the second one is Blanche Harris. The third is Corlene Leonard. Um, and then Nancy Louie and lastly, Rosie Busby. Thank you so much for taking that poll. Um, it helps us uh, better understand where you are in your uh, journey uh, to get treatment for GERD. Uh, and um, our colleague, uh, Karen Gerth or Karen Morrison, will be reaching out to you um, to get that uh, to float Tumblr to you. So thank you for letting me do that, Dr. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, but, you know, you know, we're kind of coming to the end. Let me just double check and make sure there's no other questions that have popped up. I think we're good. Um, do you have any um, last minute um, advice? Uh, to these patients that, you know, may be suffering from GERD for a really long time and are ready to do um, something different or get off their PPIs. Um, do you have any last minute um, advice for, for everybody, for everybody? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's something that's very common, reflux, you know, maybe, uh, maybe as high as 25% of the population has it. Um, so it's something that uh, is very common, but sometimes goes unrecognized or underrecognized because of the atypical type symptoms. But I think if you're curious if this is reflux um, or you know this is reflux and you've been on medications for some time and you want to know, is this the right um, uh, treatment plan for me, then absolutely getting evaluated is really important um, because there could be different treatment options or maybe what you're doing right now is, is exactly right. And, uh, and some reassurance uh, is really important in that arena. Um, so yeah, so people who've been having reflux symptoms and not diagnosed, and even those who have been diagnosed and wanna know, um, I, I think seeking help um, is really important. And I really liked um, your intro that I read about you um, and your practice, um, kind of taking a personalized approach, you know, to treating, yeah. you know, their symptoms, so, um, or their disease state that they have. So I think that that's really, really nice. Yep. Yep. Um, well, again, do you want to uh, just let the viewers know where, the, uh, what number they can yes. call or where to reach you uh, if they want yeah. to talk? Yeah, so again, I'm at uh, LeBauer, got uh, LeBauer Gastroenterology, um, and uh, we've got an office in Greensboro. We've got uh, an office at uh, Med Center High Point. Um, you can give us, a, give us a call, reach out, um, schedule an appointment with me anytime. Um, I think we have the number up there, but 336-547-1745. Um, and uh, absolutely, we're taking uh, 
always happy to see you to, to talk about your reflux symptoms and how can we better um, manage things for you um, and help you out a little bit. Perfect. Thank you. And if you're yeah. not in the North Carolina area uh, and or you, you could travel as well, but um, you can go to GERDhelp.com and on there there is a physician finder and you can put in your zip code and or state and you'll be able to find a TIF trained physician in your area. So uh, Dr. Cerigliano, yes. thank you so much for being here this evening. We really, I really enjoyed it. I know that the people who are watching really enjoyed it as well. Um, very, yeah. very good information um, that we've shared tonight. So um, thank you everyone for joining us. We have a TIFF talk every Tuesday um, and sometimes Wednesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> so uh, feel free to join us next week um, for our next TIFF talk. But until then, please stay safe and thank you uh, and have a great evening. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning into another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERDhelp. Live well, GERD free.